Frank, 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 Frank. It is Microsoft Bill 2021. It's a conference from Microsoft that happened in May, but it's May 31st now, so it's over. Is it May 30? It's not May 30. Oh, gosh. How is time moving so fast? I guess this is the beginning of the beta summer on May 31st. Googlio should have been the beginning, but neither of us got super into it. So this is the one where I got a little bit more into it. And I realized and I started installing betas on my machine. It's too early for betas. I should have held out a little longer, but I, I had to try me some betas. I also installed some, not even betas, some previews, Frank. Some previews. Oh, no. not even... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Worse. Uh, so, I, I, you know, we'll get to it later. But when I think about Visual Studio and .NET and how things are architected now, I feel really comfortable. Like I've installed previews of .NET 6 and uninstalled them. Like you just delete a folder and you're like, cool, it's gone. You know, uh, compared to... When I think Google I.O., I'm updating my Android devices. I'm updating, you know, different bits and pieces and SDKs on iOS. It's like I got to install all of Xcode and maybe a new release of, you know, uh, (laughs) know, uh, Mac OS and update all my devices. It's a little bit more of a process than running a command line that says, please update this to the development environment. and It's done. That's a nice experience. That's not bad. Yeah, for sure. I, I I was just playing around with a little Android because I'm all cross-platformy with MS mm-hmm. Build coming up because it's your apps have to run on all the platforms. And I think someone even made the statement at some point, all apps will be multi-cloud. I took that as a little bit of a challenge. I'm like, my app will never be multi-cloud, sir. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> How dare you suggest? Yeah. I am native client forever. But but I, I knew where they were coming from. And I actually really liked, um, there, was a, there was a really hard stress on cross-platform. So like multiple languages, multiple platforms, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I was playing around with Android and I noticed Android's up to at least API version 30. Mm-hmm. And so I make fun of .NET being like, keep changing things, but at least they're only at version six. You know, I haven't had to deal with 30 of these things. That's so. true. Uh, you know what, though? I probably will m- m- mark that everyone <laughs> when we get up to .NET 30. <laughs> 24 years left to go. So, uh, oh, gosh, I might just see it. <laughs> so this was your first build experience, Frank. It's not, but let's pretend. No. <laughs> How was it? Your virtual little hybrid, you know, you went to dub dub last year, you went to Google IO this year. Uh, what, what did you think? Uh, I like the conference. I always like the in-between parts in the conference when it's not always necessarily like, the uh the specific talk that i'm going to i always like microsoft's this not this is maybe my first build but it's not my first microsoft conference and i love the in between little socializing that all my twitter friends show up on and so i just love that like just getting to see my twitter friends on tv part a little bit the community stuff you know like that but it did open up with um a big satya speech and i love satya 
but my goodness, I cannot understand him <laughs> in that <laughs> he, he, he talks in very grand concepts. It, it was a funny mark difference between Apple where they're usually just pitching some API or something that's been added to the operating system. Satya was talking about the entire world and how technology is changing everything and came up with two phrases that I absolutely love that I just pulled straight out of this tech conference and I'm going to use for the rest of my life. Mark that word. Uh, tech intensity. That was first my first favorite. And then developer velocity. And then developer velocity got repeated throughout the entire conference. I'm like, hey, Microsoft, you know, I'll move at my own pace. I don't have to move quickly if I don't want to. But Microsoft kept telling me to move quicker. Well, it is there is a velocity of how fast people move. We want to make sure that anyone can move at any velocity that they seem fit. But you're right. I think that it's fascinating because I went to PDC. I went to early builds. I used to go to these conferences and even Google IO, which they were very heavy on one set of technology, right? When you go to WWDC, you're going to be hearing about Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, watch OS, and TV OS. Like that's pretty much it, right? Uh, everything around it. When you go to Google IO, it used to just beat Android and some browser stuff. And now it's grown into Firebase, into Flutter, into a few other things. So, but it's still mostly focused on mobile and, and web development. And Google Cloud Platform is kind of there, but not really just Firebase focused. Whereas Build over the last few years has been an everything conference because Microsoft is an every developer company. And they're even more than, you know, for developers, they do so much more than that. I've worked for this company, obviously. Um, and I work in the developer division where we focus on developer tools and inside developer division, right? There's, there's C sharp, there's Java work, there's TypeScript, there's Python work, there's, um, VS code, there's visual studio, there's .NET Maui, there's, you know, there's the .NET run, you know, there's all this stuff. And, uh, that doesn't even include all of the cloud, which is, uh, there's, there's so much. So it's there's a lot to cover that's what i'm trying to say yeah uh i it was a little bit humbling actually because i consider myself a pretty up-to-date programmer i know the technologies out there but then scrolling through the session list it would be like uh one out of ten sessions would be something that's actually um important to my job Mm-hmm. And not that the other ones aren't important, just important to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like, wow, there is so much out there that I don't know about and don't use. And actually, someone on Twitter was making a good challenge to everyone. Um, go to a session that you have no, don't know anything about. Instead of just going to the sessions that you know stuff about, go to the ones that are crazy. I did not take that advice, but I do love me some Power Platform, and I love their demos, so I would sneak in and watch as many power platform things as I could. Makes me think of being a VB developer. <laughs> lots and lots of power platform. Not as much as before. I think that that was kind of nice as I went into the schedule builder and there were th- things on demand. There was a backpack. I don't quite understand the backpack, but you know, I'm throwing stuff into my backpack, Frank. As you're throwing you people, as far as I can tell, you're throwing presentations and people into your backpack, which is, I think the analogy breaks down a little, but I, I would have loved to have been at that meeting where that analogy came up. <laughs> Throw it in a backpack. So it's all in the backpack and it's on your schedule or in a backpack. And I got it. It's a save list to watch later. It's fine. Uh, but it was cool because I did go into the schedule builder and I literally just typed in .NET and all the sessions that I wanted to go to were there. And that was it. And 
I was pretty happy with that. And then I, I tune into the, the homepage a little bit and the homepage was nice with like what's coming up, what's doing stuff. The power platform is great because, uh, if it's a low code, no code solution. However, I don't know if you caught it so much this year, they introduced kind of two big things. One thing that makes the no code even more no code, but then they may introduce one thing that made the low code a little bit more code. <laughs> you know, I did have a snarky comment to make. Um, well, snarky comment one, I don't think Windows was mentioned until about 30 minutes into the mm. opening keynote, which I found really interesting. But number two, as far as I can tell, the very first piece of code written on the screen was for the power platform, the low code solution. And the irony just struck me. And I, I really enjoyed that. The, the first piece of code was for the no code solution. Lots and lots of no code. Well, I want to talk about the the code part of low, low code. Uh, <laughs> one thing that uh, some of my fellow colleagues and some some people that you may know, like, like Pierce Bogan over here, big shout out to mm -hmm. Pierce, uh, the Xamarin team. He works on .NET solutions for Power Platform. The one thing they really showed off heavily that I've been in lots of meetings about, which is about bringing your .NET web APIs directly into the power platform. So for example, let's say that you had a web API to get and set pizzas. You could <laughs> just um, link that into the power platform and it would generate UI for you and it'd do all this stuff for you. You could point it at the back end accordingly. So, and they all did it through like publishing to Azure, through GitHub Actions and all this you know stuff. But it was really simple as like, hey, I created a new solution. Here's my gets and then boom, here's, Here's here's my backend in an application with like no code because the developer the you know in the backend your backend developer is doing that I thought that was really neat it's a nice extension of hey listen it's sort of realizing that low code no code only goes so far right and then you're gonna need some code <laughs> yeah but um, that's perfect that's exactly what it should be because. Um we shouldn't be hand coding against APIs. It's just, you know, anyone who's ever used access knows this is not the right way to be building apps or, you know, the way we do with code. We should be doing it the Power Platform way. And I wonder if you can answer me a marketing question that I didn't quite understand. Uh, can people sell these components? Could I go on there and sell my API? Or do they not have a store for components and Power Apps yet? I don't know. That's a good question. I do not know. Uh, I would have to look that up. I, yeah, I, I would love to be in the component business, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, I love building apps. I love building native apps. But for enterprises and internal apps, I think this, these are really powerful solutions. That's a good question. You know, and, and the power platform, we're talking about power apps, which is only one part of the power platform, which also has <laughs> flow and power automate and all these other things. Ah. I don't know if there is a, what I'm thinking of is, uh, like a marketplace kind of yeah, like extensions. I'd have to look at that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. The only reason I'm thinking of it is in one of the presentations, uh, someone had a little premium and a little diamond to buy it. And I'm like, Ooh, I want mm. to sell premium components. Uh, it's, Man. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if we're not making this clear, uh, what's neat is the component becomes like a little, uh, your API becomes like a little object-oriented component that has properties on it. You can call methods on it that are your APIs, and you can pull out information from it, and that gets bound to a UI, and presto bango, you have an app. I am totally here for that. Nice. Uh, there is a thing called a partner, and maybe a partner can build things. Hmm. There was an interesting distinction called uh, citizen programmers and other programmers <laughs> or, or citizen. Yeah. The idea was projects are more than just programmers. They're the project manager. They're the clients that are going to use it in the end. And Microsoft was really pushing on a collaborative uh, foundation for all of that. So they wanted everyone to sign in and be able to mess with your beautiful UIs, which, yeah. you know, pros and cons. It's good to have division of labor. But at the same time, we have been a little bit too developer heavy in the past. So I'm, I'm, I'm here for the citizen programmers, which I think is a terrible term. <laughs> so I'm going to keep using it. Now, what was the really cool thing that you we're talking about the no-no code. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the no-no code. Uh, a, a few months or weeks ago, I somehow convinced you to do a show on GPT-3, mm -hmm. the new magic neural network out there that's changing everything. Not really. It's, it, it's still in early stages. But, James, they did the amazing thing of using GPT to generate, and I'm a little unclear, but code or UI for your apps. So you tell it a little bit of something that you want, and they had a pretty narrowed down field on what it's capable of. I'm hoping actually you remember a little better than I am because I just got, once they said the word GPT-3, I just got lost. I was just imagining all of the wonderful things you could do with it. Uh, but there is some kind of natural translation of things. Again, trying to get more people into the development process where you tell it in what English or something and it gives you a little something. Can you help me, James? <laughs> yes, it is called Power FX, uh, which uh, is fascinating for. But for example, it's powered by GPT-3. And what you could say is you could say uh, you could write in because you could do a bunch of stuff. You could say, show me all of the customers uh, from the U.S. who have an expired subscription. Right. Maybe that's, you know, those are oh, some a keywords. Query. A query. Okay. And it okay. would then generate the query for you based on that. Love it. So if you <laughs> don't know the database syntax to go do that stuff, it just recommends based on your natural language and then generates a UI for you. I kind of wish they would just bake GPT right into the database then. Like, why even do the translation step? Make the database do the translation step. Oh, but I love cool. it. It's perfect yeah. because it's, it's doing that hard task of English to code. And that's kind of what the breakthrough of GPT was. I was amazed when I was getting it to generate very simple classes with very simple properties on it. And that's because these are early days and yeah. GPT 30 is going to be scary and, you know, kicking me out of a job. But I, I don't know. I'm just so happy to see it deployed uh, in a real project. I'm excited for that. And I want it. I want it in Visual Studio. <laughs> Give me it's GPT. very, very cool. Yeah, I think it's only the beginning of how this will begin, like you were saying. So to me, it was neat, very neat to see that demo. And, you know, uh, I gave a I gave a talk 
uh, in the student zone, student zone, uh, <laughs> which was uh, introduction to popular programming languages. Myself, I talked about a little uh, programming language called C Sharp. I don't know if you heard of it, Frank. Mm. Mm. Is did that come after C plus plus or uh, before? After. <laughs> after. <laughs> I think maybe after. Um, uh, but also, it was uh, C Sharp and uh, Python. Uh, Christopher Harrison. Awesome. Who, did uh geek trainer on on twitter uh he did it on python which is a cool contrast so i actually opened up and i talked about you know and, and brian clark was was who's also another streamer and works in cloud advocacy he he we, we talked he talked quite a bit about you know why are we talking about multiple languages because they each have different use cases and it's not a, a this or that right and that's kind of the theme of this conference is you know hey it's cool to use power apps if that's your use case and you need to build this thing or if you want to use a full, you know, uh, stack with .NET, or you want to use serverless stuff, or you want to use whatever, right? It's it's those things, and that's kind of like the Microsoft, uh, which is what people may not think about. So it was cool to be in there, and then I, I you know, I we kind of talked about, you know, Python and and C Sharp, but they're programming languages, so like they're 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 all not that different. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. they're not that different, right? I mean, you have a semicolon at the end, yeah, and of course, you know, there's different things, but the, the code that you write, you know, you just fa- you fall in love with the language, like you, you fall in love with, um, you know, VB like you're talking about, right? So it's whatever it is, it, it's good to go. I, I like how things are also cross, they're calling it fusion development. I think that's a keyword you were looking for earlier, which is enabling teams with a different set of backgrounds in their coding experience, being able to all collaborate effectively, which is something that, uh, you know, I've also often had to do with like designers, you know, and I, and I wish that these tools existed when I was working with game developer, you know, in the game industry, because it'd be cool to have the designers, you know, generate queries and do stuff to make it simple. instead of me having to build an entire tool, or I could build the backend that they could integrate into. So there's a, it's kind of cool to see these worlds collide in a way, if you want them to, they don't have to. <laughs> you want them to yeah i i, I need to side tangent us into c sharp 10 for a brief moment mm-hmm. uh did did you see anything on c sharp 10 i watched mads and yeah. um dustin dustin yeah yep global dustin. usings james That's oh all my goodness two words global usings so when you were saying like what are the differences between c sharp and uh python i my f- fallback answer to that was oh c sharp makes you write so much uh boilerplate to get going so it doesn't look as nice to a new programmer mm-hmm. but uh with c sharp 9 we got top level statements and with C Sharp 10, we're getting global usings. These are magic because you put the word global in front of your using and all of a sudden it gets applied to every file in your project. And the beauty of that is you can hide away a lot of like uh, references and project imports and things like that. You know, I'll probably do a global using system just so I can get rid of that junk at the beginning of everything. But I was thinking, you know, with those two little features, you can actually, it really is just the difference of a semicolon between uh, C Sharp and Python. It is. In fact, I don't know if you got to see the minimal web API demo. Did you see that at all from ASP.NET Core? Uh, no. And I'm, I'm angry because I, I think I saw a little something on Twitter and some I'm drawing, but I, I think I've seen it. How, okay. how many lines did they get it down to? <laughs> so they, they got it down to less lines than express, 
with JavaScript. Oh, cute. Of course. You always got to compete with the JavaScript. <laughs> it's like two less lines. But here's the magic of it. Because you talked about global usings. Here's the cool thing is, I believe that NuGet packages and oh, no. frameworks can, oh, no. can define their own, at least, the, at least ASP.NET Core does, but maybe not NuGets, but at least... <laughs> at least the framework can. So SDK. AS, the SDK can. So at least ASP.NET Core 6.0 defines global usings. So you know oh when you're God. on ASP.NET Core and there's like 20 using statements, you never have to write a global using statement or a using statement ever again because unless you're doing extensions because all the base ones are there. So to build a web API, you just do like map.get or map.post and you like write a little bit of lines of code. It's like really simple. You also can use the top level statements with it and they they bundle all the boilerplate out of the way. So it's literally just like a file that says like map.get or like, you know, service.get add cores or something like that. You know what I mean? It's mind blown, blowingly awesome. It's so cool that uh, Maria Nagaga did that demo with one of the engineers on the team. I forget his name. I apologize. Um, that was super duper cool. Definitely worth going back and watching uh, that part of uh, the it, it, that was in the .NET six all all things .NET six talk on demand. It was super duper good. So that was really cool. That was one of my favorite features. Those two things together, like it blew my mind because I knew about global usings, but then when I saw the minimal APIs and I was like, wait a second, it defines all of the using statements for me. Like I never want to write using. <laughs> you know, Xamarin forms ever again, which will be you know using Microsoft Maui. I never, I don't want to have to write that. Why would I? I'm already in a Maui app? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm already in it. It's so so cool. The irony here is, uh, uh, Maui just came out and has demonstrated that we now have like startup classes and things like that. And so now I want minimal Maui <laughs> because you have to do all this weird component registration. They copied the bad parts of ASP.NET. <laughs> you have to have your eye everything. And now I'm wondering if we can get that down to uh, as few lines as ASP.NET. But that's just a joke. It's it's no big deal. There, there's no reason to have code golf like this, especially in your startup files. Like if you're most apps you create your startup file in the beginning and you never ever touch it again only True. sometimes when you're adding little bits to it at least that's usually the goal do you remember the bad old days when we used to put so much stuff in our like app delegates and ios like we put everything in there uh, i i'm okay i got some <laughs> i was doing a video on my youtube i have it's in the next few weeks coming out and one's on One's on like styling the status bar and another one's on, what is it on? I have it here. Well, one's on dependency injection. And I was showing these features and, you know, you need to write a little bit of, of code to set the status bar appearance on iOS and Android. And Frank, I just wrote it all in the app delegate. I was just too lazy to <laughs> I was like, it's four lines of code. It's like five lines of code. Just don't. It's not in the app delegate, but it's in the app mm -hmm. delegate file. So like it just keeps growing. And I'm like, and there's all these assembly exports on top. So I am excited to, um, <laughs> yeah, to, to, I mean, I was, I went back to, remember how you'd go back, like back, back in the day, you would do all the global styling, like all of the, yeah styling of your app would be in in the app delegate and it was like so ugly yeah. but at least it was all in one place so i guess that's good 
Well, at, at least you set yourself up for the future by putting it in a separate class. It's a little sad that it's in the same file, but at least when you make that transition over to scenes, then you, you, you can call that code then. Well, the, but thing actually, with, the thing with the app delegate is once you start building an app, there's a bunch of things in there that you like a bunch of overrides you actually need to implement. Yeah. Yeah. And they're complicated. There's yes. so many ways URLs can open your apps, especially when you adopt, say, uh, what scenes. am I saying? Scenes. Oh. Yeah. Thank Not you. scene kit. No. Scene kit's wonderful and glorious. Don't ever say anything bad about scene kit. Okay. Well, we should move on from my diversion tangent there. Um, I don't have much else to say about Power Platform because I really don't know too much about it. Mm -hmm. But then I saw a Hanselman video and he kind of knocked it out of the park. Did a cute little like TikTok opening and then had a bunch of people um talking about their products in a very casual setting i'm not doing it justice but it was fun and entertaining and i almost remember this from past conferences mm. and I, i'm really enjoying this format where you basically have an interviewer and an interviewee but they're doing a, a false casual <laughs> premise you know like i think i've seen somewhere they were having lunch and in this case they were practicing for the demo or like brainstorming the demo but it was a fun little conceit and a fun little skit and it didn't detract from the product because you still got that wonderful dynamic of interviewer interviewee Mm -hmm. and i think giving presentations there's a real difference in how you present information when you're being asked questions and answering them or if you're just giving a presentation and i think if you're just giving a presentation it's much harder because you're just this talking head and people need to stay somehow engaged with you and it's your job to keep them engaged with you yeah but with an interview or interviewee situation, it's a lot easier. It's it's a social dynamic. It, it keeps you interested. I'm curious what the next question is. I'm curious what the next answer will be. I'm giving this such a clinical description for what was a very enjoyable video. Please get me out of this, James. <laughs> it was an episode of Seinfeld. Thank you. Yeah. With the camera work of The Office. Yes. Was... Oh, even better. Yeah, it, it was exactly. In fact... I think an office, an, an episode of The Office is a better representation because they knew the cameras were there. Uh, so that's even a better representation of it. And, and it was fantastic. Hanselman told me about it. And I like this because either, because this is part of a keynote, a big thing. And it's like, hey, either go all the way in or all the way out. Don't go in between. You might as well just go all the way in. And and this was a this was cool because the, this, this event today was like a little bit longer. It's like two hours with multiple uh, individuals and little key, you know, little interviews here and there. And then there was this, this big, like 30 Wait, minute let, chunk, let me which is Go ahead. Was it really two hours? Because of all of them, this one flew by. I actually was, I actually stayed for every presentation in it. So, wow, they, you got me Hanselman. I think it was two hours. Hanselman's thing was 30 minutes of it. But before that they had Scott Guthrie after that, they had Rajesh and then they had um, Kevin Scott on, I think after that. So they had a lot of mm-hmm. people in this, in this one mega, and, and then they had like shows inside of a shows and all those things. And it was, it was so well done. There were so many people I loved. It, it blended all the different technologies. It was talking about tech intensity and developer velocity and all the products, but it, it blended in all the things that we knew, we knew about, right. It, it talked um, about visual studio 2022. It talked about hot reload. It talked about WSL. They did a cool demo where they debugged um, a website on windows into the edge, 
Linux version running on WSLG, which we just talked about, and debug that from Windows Visual Studio. Like, so cool, right? Then they showed a really cool demo of code spaces. And uh, specifically, they were debugging a website and they shared a, they're in their dev code space online, which is like a private dev container thing. We'll talk about dev containers when you go into that a little bit later. But they talked about this and then there was a, uh, you could run everything local and they would forward the ports, but there was a share link. So like you could share it with someone so they could see it. And like it, it somehow like created an Azure I have no idea what it did, but I thought, wow, that was really cool. So it blended all these things together. And I thought that was a cool way of showing the, as a developer, there's a lot of things that we care about that we know that you care about and you can do all these things. Uh, And it, it, there was a cohesive story in there somewhere. Yeah, there was, but you, you got me a little confused, but (laughs) Um, no, actually, I I think I'm kind of clear. Uh, Code spaces is like a GitHub feature, and that's slightly different from like VS Code Live, right? Like live editing. But I assume they're kind of built on the same technology or something, but they're just a way to collaborate on programming. Am I right? Yeah. So there's th- three things that you're thinking about. Live share, that's just me and you collaborating on code together. Okay. Okay. Got it. Code spaces, that's a GitHub thing, which is like Got VS it. Code in the browser. And then there's is that in beta right now? Because I haven't figured out how to turn that on. It's like Is that a like preview yeah. preview thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then then there's something called like dev containers. Oh, well, this I know about this. I okay. want to go on a tangent on. Yeah. So this this is kind of fun. Um, I run Fugit.org and I have a wonderful community of developers who contribute to it. And there was a PR sitting there called I'm adding dev containers to Fugit. Ooh. And I'm like okay, (laughs) I don't know what these are, but I looked at their code and it wasn't, you know, touching anything important. It wasn't breaking anything. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take this. I have absolutely no idea what you are talking about. Fortunately, MS Build explained dev containers to me, and I will now relay my very shallow knowledge of them to you. (laughs) Go for it. Um, Dev containers is simply, uh, I want to do my development inside of a Docker container. Because I want to uh, nail down the environment that I want to be in. I want to have exact versions of runtimes and SDKs and software and even operating systems because you can, you know, put in all sorts of different kernels into your Docker. And so what a dev container is, is a combination of Docker files or just one Docker file where you create your dev environment and then a little JSON config thing, you know, just telling you silly stuff (laughs) about all that. The neat thing is if you throw those two files into a .dev container into your project, when you open your project in VS Code, it'll pop up a little thing being like, hey, hey, do you want to switch over to developing inside the dev container instead? And through some magic of Docker and port forwarding, I don't know how any of this works. I mean, just it blows my little operating system mind. And um, somehow through all that magic, uh, they spin up uh, all the necessary dockers they need to do that. They set up the communication channel. VS Code flickers away, flickers back, all of a sudden says, I'm running inside a container. Look at me. And it does all the mappings back to your source code. So even though you're editing, you're still editing your code on your machine. 
And what you've created is a really stable dev environment with an IDE that reloads itself from that dev environment. It's, you know, it, it, it's things that you could do in the past. I could certainly create Docker files in the past. I could launch an environment, but then I have to remember how to map paths, how to map all that stuff. And now it's just a few clicks away and I kind of love it. It's kind of perfect. So I just want to let you know that during that speech that you just gave, I went into Fugit on GitHub and I said, open, and there was a code space button. And it said, do you want to open this in code space? Because it's con it's configured with dev containers. And I said, sure, that Ooh. sounds good. I just created a code space and I just deployed Fugit into my own browser, my own local instance, which means <sighs> I can completely work on Fugit directly on the web and not ever have to clone your repo or anything. I'm running Fugit right now directly inside of a code space. Well, as a salesman of an IDE, I am totally against this. But as a technologist, this is absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, what is the port forwarding when you're going through code spaces? That's even worse. I couldn't believe it was running correctly on my machine, let alone across the internet. Golly uh, gee whiz, how does internet work? How does the internet work? That is a great question. How cool is that? Um, like, I, I, you know, imagine when we can get like some .NET 6 in there, you know, you get your little dev environment for .NET 6 with all the actual correct Android versions instead of the Android versions that probably aren't correct. James is even sending me a link to what I'm sure is a cool, awesome code space. <laughs> I just sent you a link to a code space um public preview a running a running course. instance of my web of fugit running so through i don't know how many clicks two three clicks you are running yeah. a dev version of my website yeah that that's awesome what yeah. kind of world do we live in did you pay for that you should be paying for that um i i <laughs> just i i just said hey give me the cheapest uh give me the cheapest thing and it just totally <laughs> did it for me. Uh, I don't oh, so know. So you are paying for it. Good. I don't I don't know if I'm actually paying for it. I think it's in preview. I don't think you pay for it, but I'm imagining at some point you pay for it. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know uh, at all. Oh, and you, I can check into source code here because, oh, that's crazy. Um, I just made a change. All right, let's see if I reload this. Anyways, this is amazing because what I'm saying is this all worked and uh, that's pretty mind boggling. Um, yeah, it's it's super cool because it's 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 completing <laughs> the um, the full circleness of it. My complaint with Docker was always there's just so too many moving parts. It's still too much to set up, still too much to fiddle with. But I am willing to put a JSON file in a dot directory. I am willing mm. to go that far. And once you have that, writing Docker fi Docker files is a little bit addictive. It's kind of fun to like get them down in size and do all that stuff. But then again, for a dev machine, you don't really care. Um, so I try to pre-install as, as much as I can in the dev machine. For example, when you load VS Code in the dev machine, it's not going to have any of VS Code's extensions preloaded. Mm. So you every time you shut down that dev machine and bring it up, which is mostly done automatically, but you can still do through Docker controls and all that. Uh, it's still gonna it's gonna have to reload those extensions. So you can fiddle around with the Docker file and um make all that better too. You should refresh that page. I changed <laughs> fuga.org to montemagno.com. 
Did you? You were stealing my product. Sorry. Anyways, that's really cool. Um, he did. He did. Is did, that yeah. in a fork or how did you actually do that? Well, here's the thing is it's in a code space and it's it's so it's I ah, think what it right. does is I think it, it creates a fork of it and then it creates my own little code space because there's a git behind it. And and I think I could commit it somewhere. I guess I could say mm-hmm. show me <laughs> remotes or whatever. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's really neat. And I'm already logged into my GitHub. Anyways, it's super duper cool. And that's the thing is see that URL. It's like unique to me. So it's my own little magical thing. That's really neat. That's crazy. It works. I'm totally going to demo that all the time, probably with Fuga.org. So <laughs> I'm going to stop it now and I'm going to stop paying for it. I don't know how to disconnect. How do I disconnect? Uh, oh, uh, you can also just open in VS Code, too, because you can connect from VS Code as well, which is cool. Um, let's talk about .NET 6. It's happening, Frank. Let's do it. I've finally done it, James. Uh, well, let, let, let me say the first big announcement that I got, and I guess if I was smart, I could put two and two together, but .NET 6 will be out-ish in November. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was the first thing that I was curious about because I think just one or two episodes ago, I was asking you, like, when am I going to have to start caring about Maui? Because I did not know uh, the timetable. And although .NET 6 is obviously a lot more than just MAUI, but uh, it sounds like they're pretty much shipping together, though. And that's all going to come out in November. So just just dates, I think, was the thing I was most curious about this time. But I can't wait to deep dive with you into it. Yes. Um, well, do you want to talk about favorite features, maybe? What do you, what do you think? Okay, well, I just got to start with uh, this is the first version of .NET core i'm gonna be mean and call it net core just because there is a library and they're still called net core so whatever okay. <laughs> they can actually build ios apps and android apps mac apps mac catalyst apps james can you believe it and some kind of win ui 3 thing that i don't fully understand yes. uh, but this is the first version of net that finally unifies xamarin basically into it and that's what's making me so excited about .NET 6. I should have been more excited about it uh, previously, but I could never get it to quite work on my machine. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't getting too excited about it. But for the first time, I was able to install .NET 6 Preview 4. And I was able to compile a Mac Catalyst app on my Mac. That is a huge deal for me, James, because I spent weeks uh suffering to build my first mac catalyst apps months ago and that was all such painful stuff it's so nice to have it baked into a legit sdk (laughs) from a (laughs) fortune 500 company (laughs) yeah so that's it mac catalyst baby (laughs) mac catalyst it's happening yeah this this to me was also exciting it was the first release in which visual studio on windows you could see and use the single project support in .NET maui which was exciting too Okay, let's talk about multi-projects. So the very first thing I had to set up was, could I create a core project, which was just .NET 6? Mm -hmm. Could I create then a UI layer that was multi-targeted? So I want um, iOS and Mac Catalyst, because that's how I want my app to roll. And I want... My thought is I want to break my app generally into these two layers. I have yeah. the kind of super cross-platform layer and then the light, less cross-platform layer, the UI layer. And the really cool thing is you can say target frameworks, plural, in there. 
and with a semicolon say net 6.0 hyphen iOS and net 6.0 hyphen Mac Catalyst. You can do net 6.0 hyphen Mac. Uh, what's the Windows one? Uh, okay, hyphen? so right now in Windows, uh, there. So I also went to the Windows session, which is also very good. Talked a lot about project reunion and how things are coming mm-hmm. together. And there's right now when you create the project, this is still early. It's preview four. So there's some magical build <laughs> craziness happening that will go away. But right now, when you create a, a project with Donna new Maui, you'll get three projects. You'll get the just Maui project, and then you get two windows projects and one project. It's, it's also crazy. What it says is it says include everything from that single project up there as a link. And then there's a packaging project. So, um, Project re project reunion windows, when UI three applications, um, they have a packaging project and that's actually what you debug, which is kind of interesting and weird, but it packages up into this thing that you can distribute. So right now there's three, but they're working with that team to make it just part of it. So it'll be in a drop down that says, oh, just deploy on windows and then done. So, and that would be probably, probably. I don't know what the they call they're calling them um, TFMs, which are target framework monikers. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you need to know this, but it'd probably be, I'm assuming it's like a Windows dash something. Who knows? Yeah, and there's a dash Android. I think I'm saying yeah. They didn't shorten it. I hope. <laughs> no, no, no. So, dash Android. Yeah. Yeah. So this this uh, multi-target dream from one project has been a dream for a long time. So I set up this core project that was .NET 6. So that's going to be like my model classes. Then I set up the UI project, which in my case, I'm just going to focus on iOS and Mac Catalyst. But of course, you could do MAUI and include all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So that I have that multi-targeting. And then uh, I can either multi-target that to be the app or I can create different apps to be the different front ends for my different apps, separate projects. So yeah. I haven't decided myself whether I really want the app, app, app to be all together in one project, because that gets a little bit weird for some operating systems. You want to include this stuff for others, others. But I probably will just because you can do conditional things in Uh, your project files and say, if I'm targeting Mac, do this. If I'm targeting iOS, do that. And using all the standard MS build stuff. Yeah. So guess what? I did all of that, James, all of that without one shared code project. And I even had pound defines all over because of course (laughs) I had to test that. That, That's our favorite use of shared code projects. But you know, um, continuous you worked on bits of continuous. I had shared code projects all over that thing and they yep. are the worst. I hate them so much. The IDEs don't like them. I don't like them. Nobody likes them. True. And I am so looking forward to slowly but surely converting all my apps over to this fantastic multi-projecting, multi-project targeting framework future. <laughs> It's a it is a beautiful world. Uh, Claire Navani, she did a, an amazing job with the MS build extension stuff that I use in all of my plugins. And it's nice to see this, you know, the, the unification in .NET 6 to say everything uses this thing, everything that's in .NET 6, this all works with. Right. Um, and there's interoperability between the different platforms and everything has the same features, too, you know, as far as some of this new core fundamental piece. So. 
for example, if you're running .NET 6, everything, everything, Frank, has hot reload, including <laughs> code hot reload, C-sharp hot reload. And I'm imagining it works with F-sharp. I don't know 100%. I didn't see any F-sharp <laughs> demos, but I'm imagining if it's a .NET project, it's going to run. And these demos were really cool because you'd expect some simple count plus plus, you know, change that to count plus equals two, right? No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, Abel showed off a Minecraft clone game, changing all of the orientation in real time. Like do that, hit a button code, and then changes in seconds. Dimitri showed one, which was like particle generators, and he was moving it around the screen. So if you're building a game, just imagine how crazy that is. And of course, it was all built into... Uh, .NET MAUI and also Blazor, uh, which is really cool. And in some project types, you don't even need to be debugging. You can just, you know, it'll just like do a file watch cr craziness injection <laughs> thing. I don't know how it works. Magic is what I'm saying. It's really cool. So it's nice to see it. And like, that was the promise, like on the slide. And then I think it was like hot reload everywhere every everybody gets it everybody you get hot reload and you get everybody gets hot <laughs> reload you know and i think that to me as a as a as an advocate and someone that's out teaching all the time no matter who's teaching anything net related you're it's one part of the right it's one thing it's one net six library that can be shared everywhere no more dot no more standards no more pickles no more hacking the CS proj. No more. It feels good. That's what I'm saying, Frank. <laughs> it feels good. You know, I, I was already starting to convert some of my apps to uh, Net 5.0, just because mm. it, it was cleaning up like a lot of the NuGet dependencies, and it's a little bit viral. You know, I started switching one thing, and then you switch the other project, you switch a project. Yeah. But thank goodness, um, I started to do this because I'm going to push onto this net six bandwagon pretty much as fast as I can. Mm -hmm. um, not just for the hot reload, but oh my goodness, hashtag finally. <laughs> I've been working on um, hot reload hacky solutions my whole career because it's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> and so I can't understate my excitement enough. So I'm going to understate it completely here and just say I'm very excited <laughs> for hot reload. But please hear me. I've been working my whole career because I want this one feature. So I'm very excited for that. You said unification, which actually, so James, imagine you're me. And I just did .NET new Mac Catalyst just blew my mind right there dotnet build <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i don't think dotnet run worked i don't remember but I, I i went and found the app and i double clicked the app and it ran what what, what do you think the next thing i thought about was dotnet publish nah no nah. can i do this with f sharp oh that's the unification mm. because in the dark old past we have this many-to-many -many problem in .NET. You have many front-end languages. We have many runtimes. We have many output formats. And it's just the combinations are bewildering. And it used to be in the past that you basically had to hand code the build files for each one of the ways you can direct yourself through that graph. Hmm. The great thing about .NET 6 is it's unifying so much stuff. So the first thing I had to ask myself, can any of this work with F-sharp or are we still in that bad old world where, you know, F-sharp is a, a secondary citizen? 
the good news, I'm going to cut straight to the chase here, is F-sharp worked. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, I didn't I know, know, by the way. I so. didn't know either. I was stressing out, man. I didn't know. Because the first thing I tried was .NET new, Mac, Cat OS, uh, dash Lang, F-sharp. And it says, ha no. Uh. No, there is no such template. But fortunately, I've been programming UIKit for a lot of years, and <laughs> I tippity tapped out. Actually, I had to go look it up online. I can never remember how to do some things um, because you never write an app delegate. We were talking about it. Don't write app delegates. It's bad. But I wrote out the app delegate by hand. I copied over an info plist file. It ended up being a very simple project file. No, nothing complicated. There just happened to not be a template. Once I got all that stuff in, .NET build, bingo, bango, I got myself an F-sharp Mac Catalyst app. No hacks needed, just had to write out all the code myself because there was no template included. But that was very reassuring. Nice. There are a million different scenarios in which that wouldn't work or conditions where that wouldn't work. And I don't know if anyone was actually testing that scenario. If you were, thank you. <laughs> but if not, good engineering <laughs> that scenario worked. That's true. That's true. Uh, that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, anyways, I'm super excited for Donna 6, Donna Maui. Also, I want to say this. A lot of questions about web stuff. We've talked about you know, we a little bit in the past. Uh, you know, Blazor, and specifically hybrid applications with Blazor, they're called Blazor Desktop and Blazor Mobile Apps. Yeah. And those are um, literally templates that are called .NET MAUI Blazor. And what that does is it gives you a Blazor UI that you can use for some or all or part of your .NET MAUI application. And of course, you can then um, use your Razor and your Blazor app logic and your UIs on the web too. So. If you're a web developer and you're looking to go that route, right? That's one of the routes that, that is the route to get to the web and to mobile is if you're a web dev. The other way around, not not quite there yet um, of, of doing that, but that makes a lot of a lot of sense in a way is because a lot of web can be optimized for mobile and not necessarily the, the other way around. Um, but it's exciting to see even Blazor and Don and Maui get a little bit more unified too in at least the cooperation between the two of them. And that was really neat. Yeah, I, I just saw that. That that was really interesting. It looks like there's basically a Blazor control that you can just put into mm -hmm. any Maui app. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's, it's called a Blazor web view. And yeah, you just drop it in whatever you want, which is so that means I mean, you know, if you have like a really cool Blazor site or you have a really cool Blazor component you like, or you've seen something cool and you're just like, I could recreate this in XAML or like I just made that blazer view and then it's like, boom, yeah. done, right? Like done, you're done, you're perfect. I mean, it's just a, it's a better Electron app is what it is because you're getting the native Maui world, which yeah. will give you access to all the APIs on the platform very easily because that's what Xamarin's really good at. <laughs> so you, you kind of get best of both worlds there. You can uh, do all your UI in HTML and Razor if you love mm -hmm. that. And then you can uh, get that good old camera I don't know. I'm trying to. <laughs> what do you think most web developers don't? I, they have access to the camera. It's a push notifications. Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. All, all that. All that stuff. I mean, just the sensors alone. And Background like syncs, sensors. Yeah. You know, you know, you could. Yeah, you could. You could. Well, the one thing that was OK, here's one thing that's kind of neat is. Is uh, there was a demo I saw. This was from Donnie Conf Windows, but Dan Roth and some open source other people did it, too. 
they used a 3D JavaScript library, like 3D.js mm-hmm. or something like that. And they use that inside of a .NET MAUI Blazor app, which means, yeah. hey, listen, there's a bunch of amazing JavaScript libraries that can also run really fast on these devices. Now, they're not going to be, they're not going to be, you know, scene kit, right? But they are going to be a 3D cross-platform library that you can add into your application cross-platform. And that's also really, really cool. Yeah, I know a lot of people that are web developers and they want to make apps too. Mm-hmm. And this is just pretty much a perfect solution yeah. right there. Yeah. All right. We're getting up to 51 minutes and I'm super hungry. Oh, no. So what are other things, Frank, anything else.net or other things that build that you want to tap into? Oh, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll bring up one, though I don't fully understand it, but I'm just going to give you the headline. PyTorch enterprise (laughs) and what i what i hope it means because what i can do as a small person is i can create these little pytorch models and very slowly train them on my very slow video card that i happen to have at home what i would love to be able to do is train them on bigger machines but even when it's trained i need to have servers that actually execute these models and what I believe, <laughs> please, I hope I'm not getting this totally wrong, is Microsoft's giving you an easy way to host uh, all your code uh, specifically for enterprises where you don't necessarily want to host it on the public internet, but you do want other people to be able to access it. So it has all the permissions and things to make data work mm-hmm. and all of that. What I see it as is basically just the next step in getting AIs into the enterprise, because that's always a really hard part about who's controlling the data and all that stuff. And it looks like Microsoft's making good inroads there. It doesn't totally apply to me. I just like to see it from an industrial perspective of, cool, this stuff is uh, maturing. Yeah, I guess this is a Facebook and Microsoft collaboration or something. Uh, Yeah, Facebook runs PyTorch, so I'm sure they were involved. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing I want to talk about in one of my bits, in case you have another one, which is Mm -hmm. Cosmos DB getting even freer tier. (laughs) Okay, so this means that the new offering is 1,000 RUs, requests units per second. That's a lot if you're doing stuff. Before it was 400, I think. Mm-hmm. With a throughput of 25 gigabytes per month free. And nice. they released a Cosmos DB emulator that works on Linux and Mac. And if you run it locally, it doesn't doesn't use any credits or anything like that. Like it all just works. So you can test everything locally a hundred percent, which is cool. So that's kind of cool. That's really cool because I'm a slow developer and I, w- I would definitely write that infinite loop that did inserts into the Cosmo mm. DB. So that is very useful. I almost made the joke. Does it run in dev containers? But you know what? It probably does. Probably. Probably. <laughs> uh, that's a cool one. And that affects you because I remember we did a whole episode on uh, how much like reads and writes were costing you for yeah. your apps. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be cool. What else you got, Frank? Oh, 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 I don't know. I, I think I'm going to wrap up. It's been 54 minutes. I, I got my cool. Uh, I, I just will say one more thing. They were also heavily, I, I mentioned it before, but collaborative apps, right? That that was one of the others. It was tech, tech intensity, developer velocity, and collaborative apps. And I'll say, I myself am not uh, doing too much 
there, but I always thought we would be the perfect thing for creating collaborative apps. And I just like to see that, uh, you know, we've always had collaborative apps with web apps. What we're trying to do is have collaborative all apps, all apps <laughs> be collaborative things. And I think that that's also just a good turn for the industry, you know, just a good maturity level that we're reaching. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, let us know what your favorite features or favorite sessions or I'm getting tired of Microsoft Build 2021 and also what you're looking forward to with WWDC, which is right around the corner, Frank. Can you believe it? Just so two weeks away. That's crazy. I can't believe that I didn't even mention uh, VS 2022. We, right. we, have an, uh, we have an official name, a new VS. Who doesn't love a new VS? It's three bigger. And 64 bits. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> did you for... see the, I'm sorry. Did you see the demo where they loaded a project that had like 350,000 files in it? I was like, yes. who is making that project? Okay. Bless, bless your soul if you have to work on a code base that big. <laughs> I have to imagine that that was a real world example, too. I'm not positive, but I have to assume. Uh, I don't know. Or else I am not envious of the person that had to create that project to test. Um, yeah, so. it, it was like a thousand projects, too. In the yes, solution. too yeah. much. Uh, OK, enough. It, it, it can load it faster now. VS 2022. Get it. Tw twice as fast. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Emerge Conflict. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us all afternoon here on your walk, in your car, wherever you're at in the world. We appreciate it. Of course, you can check out Merge Conflict and all the places to find us at mergeconflict.fm. There's also a Discord button. You can hang out. There's some notifications when new things drop. And there's also a Patreon button where you can become a Patreon. That's right. You can help support the show and make it happen. And also, you get all of the podcasts early and every week you get an exclusive 10 minute ish podcast with me and Frank as we ramble about shenanigans, but that's going to do it for this week's podcast. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno and I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.